Oh, the lost colony of Roanoke. What would the History Channel do without this one? We learned a few things, you and I did, back in school, for sure, about this colony, no matter when you graduated. Now, this one is fascinating to me on so many levels. You'll see as this history mystery unfolds before our very eyes. Here, you're going to find it. You're going to hear it. You're going to imagine it. You're going to picture it. You're going to hear the story in a way that I promise you, you've never heard it before. That's what I'm doing for you. Now, honestly, it's not that I know more about history than some PhD on the History Channel at all. It's not because I personally did some kind of archaeological dig in the area. It's simply because I do a lot of studying and go along with the scientists and the archaeologists and the historians that not only challenge the status quo, but downright combat it when necessary. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, Kyle. I hated history in high school. It's so boring. I don't like the History Channel. Well, neither do I anymore. It's now the it's now the whacked out Ancient Aliens channel, okay? Don't, don't believe anything you see on the History Channel. Uh, but oh, I didn't like it in high school. Listen, guys, you know me, all right? I promise not to bore you, and I'm going to present this story in a way that will keep even the most history-hated student out there awake. So, I ask you, what does the average person know about the lost colony of Roanoke? And I'm not asking, you know, those of you that listen to my pa uh, podcast arduously, you probably know more than the average person because you've seen it. You know, you've, you've known it's been a mystery for a very long time. I've been studying this for a very, very long time. So I get it. I'm talking about the average person. You know, when I think about the average person, when it comes to this kind of stuff, I think about uh, my wife. <laughs> Rachel, I think about my kids. I think about, um, they know something. And here's what it really goes along with. Because they don't listen to this podcast. Are you kidding me? All right, here we go. This is what the average person knows. Uh, well, there was an early settlement. I don't remember what country came to start it. And a group of people came here to live in the new world and it vanished. It mysteriously disappeared. Maybe they even know that there was a carving left on a tree with some enigmatic, unknown word. Mystery abounds, and the rest is lost to mystery and history. And that's all we know, Kyle. And that's all we'll probably ever know about the real answers. The end. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. That's my Matthew McConaughey from Days and Confused. <laughs> Listen, guys, buckle up. All right? Buckle up, my friends, because history is about to blow your minds. Oh, and uh, so is the cover-ups that inevitably always come with it. <laughs> I know you're ready. I'm ready. You're ready. We're all ready. Let's go. Welcome to the Drilling Down Podcast. My name is Kyle Gray. This is your one-stop shop for the weird, the unexplained, the misunderstood, and the straight-up ignored conspiracies of our time. We have a biblical worldview here. 
But listen, we see the supernatural all throughout scriptures and believe that we are ramping up for a resurgence in the terrifying, unmistakable mythology of the ancient roaring back to life on our planet with each passing day. I'll be your host for this ride, and I am dedicated to getting the truth out, no matter what the cost. Follow us on Facebook at Drilling Down. Listen on all your favorite platforms, but for the best results, for the show notes, subscribe to drillingdown.buzzsprout.com. That's drillingdown.buzzsprout.com, where you're going to find the most up-to-date episodes and links. Yeah, you can always support our podcast financially. Thank you all for doing that with a Venmo payment to at Kyle-Gray-88. That's Kyle-Gray, G-R-A-Y-88. And help keep this show moving forward. Guys, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for listening to Drilling Down and making it part of your day. And now with no further ado... Let's get drilling. So, we've got a big mystery around this one, as you know. Uh, And now the mystery always centers itself around a certain word called Croatoan. It's this enigmatic, unknown word that was carved in a tree where the village mysteriously disappeared. And that, my friends, is the epicenter of the mystery. (laughs) And I have absolutely, positively, no freaking clue why. Uh, According to history, like over 900 original sources from the mid-1600s the the 15th century Croatoan is a really well-known tribe. It's actually a place in the 1500s off the shores of North Carolina near the Outer Banks. Now, go ahead and raise your hand if you've been to the Outer Banks. I've got my hand raised. OBX for life, baby. I love it. It's awesome. Gorgeous, guys. Just this, this, um, this incredible feel. Now, again, I just got back from, let's see, I was in uh, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, uh, New York and Connecticut for a month, all over the, the ocean shores there. North Carolina's got a different vibe. And I will say I've been to South Carolina a ton. I've been to Florida a ton. North Carolina's something different. Those of you that have been to the Outer Banks, I have been there. We stayed by Kill Devil Hills. You got the Wright brothers and everything that happened right there. Oh, it's just Kitty Hawk, just gorgeous. All right, so that's where we're at. If you've been there, you can go ahead and picture it. Now, we're going to do a little bit of history. Don't get scared. Guys, this is actually like, I'm so pumped, man. I'm so pumped. I'm a history nerd. But this just, the mystery and the history, all of it collides along with, along with this incredible sociological survey on how things can change over time. And that, my friends, is going to fit a lot into some future episodes that we have coming up. So let's get our start. In the mid-16th century, those of you that don't know what a 16th century is, means we're starting in the date of the mid-1500s. Now, 
you know that England was a dominant force as far as, you know, the, uh, we're coming out of the medieval times here and as far as land goes, but there is a new player in the game that is, has come now since Columbus in the 1490s. Now Columbus was Italian, but there was no Italy yet at this point. So he sailed for Spain and you guessed it that those riches, uh, over the 1400s to, to now the mid 1500s. Uh, in the in the Caribbean, down off the coast of Florida, uh, South America, Mexico, they were getting Spain was getting riches galore because Spain was the dominant superpower, especially on the seas, and navies were becoming a very big deal. Spain was the first one to it; their navy was second to none. So here they have for over a hundred years they've been collecting all these uh, Caribbean riches, these spices, precious metals. Uh, They were pirating and looting from this entire side of the world, let alone the New World. So Spain ruled at this point and England ruled, especially when it came to the Navy Department. But the difference is Spain was ruthless. You see, Spain would go in and conquer new lands and islands And they would kill everyone in their wake. I mean, total conquistadors and awful tragedies, just bodies laying on every hill that the Spaniards trounced up to conquer. Awful. That's Spain. So here is England that had obviously ruled the land for so long, and they were, guys, desperate to get a win. So they come up with an idea mid 16th century, 1500s, 1550 to 1560, 1570. And their idea is this. They wanted to fake, okay, a little fake news here. They wanted to fake and uh, uh, explore, in air quotes, the new world under that guise. Okay, because let's let's stop here for a second. Uh, Queen Elizabeth or or any king uh, of any nation, they aren't going to personally sponsor any of these um, trade routes, any of these new expeditions to the new world, what you had to do is you had to get investors, right? These were privateers. These were were very wealthy people, uh, trading companies, you know, et cetera, that would finance you per journey. And then you would go on this journey to the new world or the Caribbean, wherever you were going. And what you would do is you would collect enough riches or whatever commodities they demanded for fronting the money. Now you had to bring that back to them. Does that make sense? So you would bring that back to them and then they would go, oh, well, good job. Uh, we will sponsor you again. Maybe you'll get some more sponsors on. So, you know, so you would try to find new riches every time you went and then pitch that to a different company or different people that really needed those riches. Do you see? So this was a, it was a very big business, but you had to come back with something. So England comes up with this thing. All right, we're going to go explore the new world. Yeah. Get some riches and stuff like that. But their real plan was just to spend some time to figure out where to set up shop to raid and pirate and hijack the Spanish ships. <laughs> I mean, pretty smart. Like if Spain's doing it and they're, they're kicking butt all over the place, come back with big fat merchant ships, just full of riches. Uh, they'll just go over there and wink, wink. We're going to explore, but what we're really going to do is we're going to raid these turds. And that's what we're going to do. So. 
there was a sidebar. There was a side mission that they could possibly, if they could find a new trade route, a northwest trade route to China, to the to the to Asia, that would gain them some dominance as well. Okay, so I mean, there's there's all kind of side benefits to this. But remember, Spain had been in the Caribbean, Mexico, Florida for over 92 years at this point. I mean, a long time. But there were still a bunch of places up the coast from. Uh, South Carolina from Florida that uh, were North Carolina, you know, obviously Virginia, we're going to go up, you know, even further, we're going to go Massachusetts, New York, Rhode Island, that would be Maine, you know, Canada's up there too. So you got all this stuff that's up there. That's largely, uh, they don't know what they're going to find there. So a man by the name of Humphrey Gilbert, who you've never heard of, doesn't matter. He rallies some investors and he says, look, I'm going to the new world. This is English. I should I should preface this. Now, this is the English getting into it, right? He convinces Queen Elizabeth to let him hit up the new world. And he's Gilbert's actually obsessed with finding that Northwest Passage for trade. That was his big deal. So off he goes. But he lands in Canada, <laughs> Nova Scotia, which is still great. You know, there's Indians up there. And in the future, there's going to be tons of fur trade there. I mean, I grew up going to Mackinac Island. I've grown up, you know, I've been to the UP a million times, the Upper Peninsula there, those of you that don't know. And this this is rich with history up there, guys, with all these old fur, fur trading companies and all this. So that would be an incredible find later on. But for right now, that's not what they were looking for. Because the Spanish, you know, Cortez, the Spanish and finding all this stuff south of uh, the United States now. With all this gold and riches and, you know, fur wasn't the cat's meow yet. So Humphrey goes, he finds Canada, not a whole lot. He trades with a few Indians there, uh, but it's it's not glorious. That's the first mission. It's not the greatest thing ever, right? Uh, that being said, it doesn't matter anyway, because his ship hits a storm like so many of these do, and he drowns. <laughs> So the queen has to turn her hope to someone else. Gone is Gilbert and the first expedition to the New World from England. She turns her hopes to a man who you've heard of by the name of Sir Walter Raleigh. Now, Sir Walter Raleigh is an investor. Um, he he is going to basically be the middleman that gets these rich guys together to subsidize these trips. But the queen doesn't want him to personally go because the queen likes him. Wink, wink. You know what I'm saying? Like they had a little side project going on there. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Uh, so she doesn't want him to go. So he's going to stay there, but he's going to raise all the money. He's going to get all these ships together. And uh, he's going to basically command what these guys do. Now, this is really important because Sir Walter Raleigh uh, has a goal. And that is this. I don't care what you guys do, boys. When you leave, you hurt the Spanish in any way you possibly can. And you hurt them bad. You kick them in the swimsuit area. You hurt him bad. Sir, Wally, Sir Walter Raleigh hated the Spanish. You hurt them. Now, as Solomon once said, there's nothing new under the sun. So while Spain and England were not yet, they would be soon officially at war. They weren't yet in, well, let's go, let's go 15. Let's put this at 1584, shall we? They weren't at war yet, but there was a double proxy war going on. If you know what this is, or if you don't know what this is, mm, you've seen a lot of movies about us in the Middle East these days and how the corrupt CIA is, you know, they're double playing everyone and everyone else. MI6 is double playing everyone, double sabotage. Well, I mean, we've done this in Afghanistan for years and years and years. The Iran-Contra, all this stuff. Uh, nothing new under the sun. Because at this point, when England is starting to set out to the New World, just across from England, like just across the little channel is, of course, the Netherlands, right? It's right there. 
Well, Spain had threw a turd in the punch bowl for the English, and they had recently conquered the Netherlands right there across the water from England, kind of saying, ha ha, come get us, baby. And so the English were secretly supplying the Dutch with weapons, you know, uh, money, cannons, uh, wealth, all that kind of stuff secretly, you know, to rebel. Basically, anything short of the English actually being there (laughs) to actually fight themselves is what they were doing. Meanwhile, the English had recently conquered Ireland. And guess who was doing the same thing to the Irish? The Spaniards were secretly supplying the Irishmen with weapons and money. So this was leading to the English and the Spaniards to hate each other. And Sir Walter Raleigh gets a chance to get revenge back by the queen herself. Yeah, he's going to take it. So Raleigh starts thinking to himself, he starts understanding the trade routes, what these Spaniards were doing in the islands and how they were making their way back to Spain. Uh, the, the French helped a little bit there because they hated the Spaniards too. And the French had been sailing these seas longer than the English. So they understood how the Spaniards would get back. So what Raleigh needed to do is find the perfect spot to kind of put a hidden Mm, seaport, just a small one where ships could stage, the English ships could stage, but could also spot the Spanish ships returning to Spain after their plundering of the New World and the Caribbean. Doesn't do, obviously, England any good to sack and pirate and slit the throats of these guys while they're going from Spain to the islands because they just have like menial things they wanted to trade and not no big deal they they wanted to be able to spot these big fat loaded down pregnant merchant ships full of gold and sugar and tobacco and spices from the islands and the new world and they wanted to destroy them and plunder them and raid them when they were bellies full headed back to spain He needed the perfect place to do this. And Sir Walter Raleigh and the English find it. In North Carolina, at the Outer Banks, on Hatteras Island, on Roanoke Island, tucked right back in the bay there. Now, Raleigh knew from the French, he starts finding out that what the Spanish were doing is they are raiding the Caribbean. And then if they did want to hit the New World up a little bit, they would. If not, they would just sail home following a thing that that was new back then, but was very, uh, very helpful in getting back to Spain in the water. Do you know what that would be? No, no buoys, no tugboats. Do you know? God provided one. It's called the Gulf Stream. The Gulf Stream's a big deal. Now, if you see it, like we know all about it now, shipping channels use it and But you think back then, the open seas, I mean, there were no international waters. Every man for himself out there, man. It was like a a kid's playground, but everybody had, you know, shanks and knives. (laughs) You know, it was crazy out there in the ocean. Uh, And so they they followed the Gulf Stream because the Gulf Stream is like a super highway back to Spain, guys. Even if there's no wind and they got to cut sails, they can just drift in the Gulf Stream and it will start taking them home. The Gulf Stream even looks a different color. It's like turquoise. Just awesome. So Sir Walter Raleigh and the English find out this is what's happening. Ships are being loaded full of riches. And they found a place in North Carolina where they could tuck back in behind the islands, hide their ships, 
they were already above sea level at this point. Now they could, let's say, climb up a tree or, you know, be hidden one way or another behind the trees up on their 140 foot mast, you know, or whatever they wanted to do. And they could see out into the Gulf Stream and see the Spanish ships sailing back and then cruise out of North Carolina, make their way over to. I mean, what a slow, you know, funny process. It wasn't like all of a sudden, yow, they're there. Like, you know, the Spanish look up and they're like, oh, three hours. The ship's going to be here. This thing's they're going to kill all of us. Oh, you know, what are they doing? Sail faster. It doesn't work that way. So funny. Anyway, uh, the the English would tuck back in there. Now, if it were, you know, big Spanish warships and an armada, they would freaking leave them alone. You know, let them let them just go. But if it's just a, a merchant ship, a big old thing, you know, again, Spilling over with goods and riches all by itself. A little lamb wandered off to slaughter. That's what they would do. And they would jump on it. All right. So they found it. North Carolina was perfect. You have to understand that, again, the Spanish and the French had been trading with the Indians in the lower Atlantic coastal regions. uh, And the English were ready to do a little trading of their own. They wanted to get in the game. Know what I mean? And so they shut up shop right here by Roanoke, right here by Hatteras Island in North Carolina. So to make things simple and to not bore you guys, you know, with all with a ton of history, I will tell you that there are two main Native American tribes near Hatteras, near Roanoke. Okay, the two main tribes are the Croatoan. Yes, (laughs) this is not unknown knowledge. It's quite the opposite. Actually, they had a chief named Minotoan. Uh, They were allies with a few tribes nearby and uh, they were it's, it's hard to say they were much more peaceful than other tribes around them uh, because the Croatoan were just like any other Native American tribe. They, I mean, they lived here for thousands of years. They could, you know, if I walked up to them right now and it's 1582 and I walk up to them, if they wanted to, they just, and I'm dead. You know what I mean? Like they could kill me just by looking at me, right? They were warriors, guys, big time. Uh, but that's to say that they were more peaceful in the, uh, in the event of when the English come, they are more, hmm, they can turn peaceful in order to survive, if that makes sense. So that's the Croatoan, and they would be the English's best friend. Okay? There was also an Indian tribe nearby that the Croatoan hated. The Croatoan were on the islands, um, you know, the outer banks, and then the uh, right uh, inland. I mean, you, you have to remember, this isn't like, 10 miles away or a hundred miles away. Like your enemy that is unreachable could be just across the water, like, you know, 600 yards in the mainland. And that's where they stayed and you stay out on the islands and, you know, you hated each other, but you could see each other coming because of the water. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So anyway, the, the, the other warring tribe nearby were the Sequitin Indians and they hated the Croatoan. They were always at war. So the Croatoan's chief is Minotoan. Croatoan, Minotoan. That's pretty easy for you to remember. And the Sequitin's chief is named Wingina. All right. So these two tribes live next to each other. And uh, uh, the the Sequitin live um, Man's Harbor right there uh, uh, towards the mainland. And the Croatoan live on what is modern day Hatteras. Okay. In North Carolina. All right. 
So the first English uh, voyage had come over, you know, that the the poor the poor man that that nobody ever remembers that whoops I found Canada that's the first time gets you know uh, screwed up he he doesn't do a whole lot he sinks who cares about that dude anyway another guy comes from England and these are not colonization efforts guys these were war parties from England uh, but traders as well so. Barlow actually comes over and he's got a few men with him. Uh, he's a, he still has a written account that survives. Thank goodness some of these guys kept journals. I mean, this is huge. This is how we get our information and our direct sources today. And so they land at Hatteras. They land at Roanoke. They land right in that area and they stay for six weeks. They basically, hi, I come in peace. You know, they are the Englishmen landing in around 1584. And so they introduce themselves. Their goal is to figure out, are the natives crazy? Are they going to kill us? What's going on with these people? Uh, how much intelligence do they have? They want to find out what's going on with the land, uh, where they can actually bring ships into. They're really more interested in the Chesapeake Bay, but here they land and here they are. It's a little shallower, but hey, this is working out really good because they can tuck in behind the islands and again, see the Spaniards out to sea and go slit all their throats and take all their goods. They want to know if the natives are friendly. So what the English are doing, at least the Elizabethan English here at this point in the 1580s, they're trying to do what the Spanish had not done. They don't want to go kill, plunder, destroy, make enemies everywhere they go and just sheer raw firepower. That's not the way the English wanted to do it. They were smarter. They truly were. What they wanted to do is they wanted to show up and befriend these Indians so that everyone could profit from it. Does that make sense? They want the Indians to profit. They want themselves to profit. They see this could really be good. So why kill it all? After all, they have no idea what's going on with this land. They don't, they don't know what grows there, what doesn't. They're going to need these Indians' help. So I like to put ourselves back in the place. You know, whether I'm doing it from a biblical perspective on my other, you know, episodes, different topics, but whether it's history like this, you got to understand that what was a game changer for the Native Americans? Um, if we didn't come, even if we came in war and they had a war with us and we left some of our stuff behind, like these initial Native Americans up and down the coastal regions saw something that was invaluable to them, whether they took it from us or traded it from us or we dropped it and forgot it and lost it. They started understanding we had something that was precious to them. Do you know what that was? Metals. They had types of copper, but that's soft metal. We're talking about iron. We had metals. Guys, This was, think about this. If you're living for thousands of years and you don't have metal, this is a game changer. They didn't have that. So they were carving like canoes. They would burn one side of the canoe to make it soft. And then they would have to use like, you know, elk or deer antlers um, if they could sharpen a stone one way or another, they had a way of kind of hardening really hard, some kind of conch shells a little bit. But they're basically uh, canoeing canoes uh, with wood, you know, using wood on wood. It wasn't that great. But now they get iron. Could you imagine? Now, the English never, never traded their swords. That was off limits. I mean, that was... 
that was way up there on the list of medals. They never did that because they didn't want the Indians to use it against them one day because Indians didn't have anything like the English swords. <laughs> Nor did they have like the chain mail that the, that the English were wearing. But these new medals were life-changing for them. So the English learned, this is great, that, okay, I'll, I'll preface even more. Okay, because I love history. I'm a nerd. So most of these guys that are coming over, most of these people on these expeditions, um, there were some aristocrats. There were some high-ranking military generals who were well-to-do over in London. But for the most part, um, these guys needed the work. So they're just general sailors or they're, you know, they can fight if they need to, but they're just there to help with whatever needs. And they don't have, you know, they're going to be on the streets in London or they can sail and come back with some pretty decent money. Well, what really gets good for them, they start realizing is that the Indians loved these metals. So an average sailor, even just a sailor to see how bountiful the, the, the new world was guys, they start discovering they can come over with just anything worthless around their house. That's metal, you know, a a copper pot over here or an iron door hinge that they, you know, been piling up for 50 years in their garage or I mean, just a tool they don't use anymore. Maybe their grandpa's old hammer. You know what I mean? Like they got a nice sweet one now, but you know, they got, a, they got an Ir- Irving now that's uh, you know, awesome. But the dad, grandpa's old one, they can depart with that. They can part with that. And so, you know, they take what they can onto the ship to the new world because they know they can trade it. Well, listen to this. These guys who would, you know, basically be out on the streets in London, go on these ships, take whatever, you know, what's worthless to them, iron. Uh, and they take it and they trade it. Uh, one one worthless copper pot, guys, can be traded to these natives for 50 deer pelts. So because deer was so plentiful here and it wasn't in the United Kingdom, like England, you know, all those countries, Scotland, Ireland, you know, uh, France, you know, Spain, uh, not Italy yet. But all, all these places are just, you know, they have been warring across the country, you know, since the Dark Ages chased the, the deer off. You know, they weren't that plentiful there. I mean, you could go out and kill 50 deer in five minutes. In North Carolina. So abundant. And so the, the the English sailor would come and just with this worthless door hinge, let's say, and trade it for 50 deer pelts. Guys, when he brought that personally back to England, he would get an entire year's salary just from those. So this was making everybody rich. Just from a copper pot trade, not to mention if he got his hands on some of this tobacco, which, by the way, the Indians tobacco was like nine or ten times as potent as ours today. And it was a little hallucinogenic past the peace pipe. Uh, They bring back some tobacco. Uh, If they I mean, black pearls were plentiful and these were huge deals. All you had to do is slip a few in your pocket. They were everywhere. Come back and trade it and live like a king. (laughs) In abundance in the new world. I mean, there's even a painting of Queen Elizabeth with black pearls from North Carolina around her neck. The queen was wearing black pearls because this is how sought after they were. And they, you know, come over here and the Native Americans are pooping these things out. They're just everywhere. One man's trash is another man's treasure. So the English wanted allies because everybody could get rich. They want to learn how to plant and what to eat and what can flourish in the new world. They want to know about know about this new thing called potatoes and tomatoes. <laughs> Italy would soon want to really know about that, wouldn't they? And the Spanish just wanted to plunder and pillage. So it's at this early peaceful point that the English and Barlow are going to return to e- England. 
and they have this idea. They're like, hey, look, you guys are super fit. You know, I want to take, we want to take two of your youngest, hottest, sexiest, buffest studs back to England. And we want to show them who you all are. We want to show them how healthy you are. We want to teach them English. We want to show them, kind of make them our interpreters. They'll learn our language language along the way. We will learn theirs. They will see our culture. You know, they will know what, what's going on back there. It's good for everybody. So the Croatoans say, heck yeah, we've got our new friends. We love you guys. This is amazing. Look at all this iron you gave us. Tremendous. So they take two of these sexy man beasts back with them. Manio is the name of one and Wanchi the other. Now you can do your research on these two. I know you won't, but Manio is more of the, I mean, both these guys are big, ripped, buff, young, young studs, right? Uh, Manio is more of the peaceful kind, although, you know, he kills people later on. He, he really wants the English. Any chance they get to kill the sequitin, he's there like, hey, 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 I'm in for a scalp or two. But Manio is more more of the, uh, hey, man, I'll do whatever you English want. This is amazing. Keep feeding me this amazing food. Keep giving me these amazing things, these clothes, rock. You know, that's Manio. Wanchi, on the other hand, was more apprehensive. Uh, he didn't want to be there. Once he got to London, he just wanted to get back. He did not like the white man, although he put up with the English. But I think he did some pretty suspect things later to turn the Sequitin even against the English. He was happy when the Sequitin died, but Wanchi was also happy when the English died. You know what I'm saying? And you can't fault him, guys. In every tribe, you definitely had, in the Sequitin definitely had some people who were like, oh man, can't we just get along with the English? They got so much cool stuff. Why do we have to war with them? And then they had people who wanted to down with the white man. You know, so did the Croatoan. You can't blame them. So they take these two, Manio and Wachi, back to, to, to London. Could you imagine as they're pulling into the London Harbor? Holy crap. What these two Indians, these Native Americans must have thought when they see London. Shell-shocked. Now, I will tell you today on Roanoke Island, Roanoke, right? In North Carolina, there's uh, a city named after these two Indians. One's named Manio and one's named Wanchi. But uh, we're going to talk about more of that later towards the end. Just keep that in mind. So the English teach these two the English language. They dress them in fine leathers. What they want to do is they're, you know, they're bringing them back to London. And it's big business, guys. They dress Manio and Wanchi in the, the like, basically, if you want to Hollywood out these guys like chiefs, you know, and make them, you know, in all the best leather from North America and all their beads and war, you know, feathers and tribes like, you know, these guys were already pretty impressive. I mean, the, the archaeological digs at Hatteras going on right now um, have produced plenty of these Native Americans that were six, nine, six, ten, seven foot. So. You know, uh, you know, we're not going to go into the giant thing here, but these guys were these were big boys and they were healthy and ripped. And so they put them in their greatest leather garb. Why, Kyle? Because they had not yet gotten the English leather traders on board with this yet. Once they bring these two back, basically put them, you know, in a plexiglass box and parade them around London for all to see, which I understand why Wanchi was pissed at this point. But you got these leather leather dudes going, whoa. I mean, big time millionaire leather companies here going, this is like nothing we've ever seen. You're telling me these pelts are everywhere? 
I want in. How much do I have to pay you for the next voyage? You bring me back X amount of pelts, right? So now we're getting into the big fur trade. But this is all set up. This is what they wanted to do. And so this is all them big business. But what does big business do, guys? It always provides lots of sketchy situations. Now, I personally know this from my past. Let me tell you. (laughs) Needless to say... They get big time backing and they're excited to go back to the new world and trade even more worthless things for riches. (laughs) The third trip is about to happen. Pots, pans, knives. Guys, you know what they, you know what the Indians freaked out over that they loved? Check this out. Glass. All kinds of glass because they didn't, they didn't have glass. Are you kidding me? Glass. Think about, I mean, magnifying glasses were huge trade. Think about this. The first time a Native American sees, you know, after starting fires for thousands of years with sticks and bows and, you know, they know how to do it. It wasn't a big deal to them. But the fact that they could hold this thing, the English just said, oh, no, no, hold it, hold it, hold. And they just hold it. And the sun makes a fire. <laughs> Pretty awesome. So, you know, it's like the magic wand of these uh, Croatoans mirrors i mean they had been you know obsidian mirrors were i mean ancient you had those thousands of years but uh you know native americans really only see themselves uh reflected back on ice or you know a very still pond and that was a dim reflection of themselves but you know they bring a mirror which you can now see like a a perfect carbon copy a reflection of yourself i mean this is mind-boggling this is big time trade guys so the English come back and they even make nice with the Sequitin, much to the Croatoans' dismay. But hey, the English want to be fun, you know, friends with everybody. They don't want a war. We want friends. We could trade these crappy pots for uh, lots of money with the Sequitins as easy as we can, the Croatoans. They never met the Sequitin uh, chief at this point, but they meet his brother and everyone's one big happy family. 1584. The Croatoans hated the Sequitans because the Sequitans had come a little bit earlier and killed some of the Croatoans while they were worshiping in their hut, in the church hut. So the Croatoans were always begging their new friends, the English, to, hey, any chance they get, could you uh, lay waste over there to these guys with their superior firepower? <laughs> Obviously, the English could do this. And the Croatoan even, I mean, they up the ante. They're like, how many black pearls do you want? How many riches do you want? We will get you everything you want if you just nuke these guys off the face of the planet. But again, to the English credit, guys, at least the Elizabethan English, they wouldn't do it. Not at this point. They wanted to get along with everyone because they wanted to be as rich as humanly possible. It's funny as you do your studying because there's a misconception that these English were stupid. Uh, they came over and they didn't know how to plant crops or that was they were incapable of living here, if not for the Indians. And if the Indians left them, they would starve. They did not know how to grow crops and adapt in the new world. That's actually not true of these journeys. It would be true in the case who replaced Queen Elizabeth by the name of King James. Yeah, who King James wanted his own Bible. King James wanted his own territory. He wanted his own town. Forget these idiots that we're, you know, we're learning about right now. He wants to create Jamestown in his own name. He wants to create Plymouth. And they were actually so inept, they start resorting to cannibalism. Okay, but that's that's uh, 50 years later. So, I mean, you know, that's that's 30, 35, 40 years later. That's them. This is not the case with the English under Queen Elizabeth in North Carolina on these early voyages. Guys, 
the the other misconception is this land was barren and I mean holy cow unlike new england where you know and, and down towards uh virginia where jamestown would go the, uh this was abundant with food and wildlife and natives willing to work with them of course jamestown had natives as well that you got the whole pocahontas scene right there but they they weren't they weren't as um uh, adept as these Englishmen were, and they weren't into peace and survival. That's not the way they were under King James. All right. So you got to understand that the land is, I mean, the Indians are totally willing to work with them at this point. I mean, we could have had a whole different story. I, I know, I know it would have changed somehow because we're idiots. The English, the Spaniards, the France, you know, they all latch on to different Native Americans and start warring over the land. And that's where we get our whole land from, right? But before that, it's looking like it could actually work out for everybody. This land, North Carolina, North America, was paradise, guys. It wasn't what our history books of disease and famine would make us to believe. Now, yes, we did bring disease that um, that started uh, making its way into these tribes because they had no way to combat it. These Native Americans had never been subjected to any of the, the English diseases, the white man's diseases. And so... Actually, side trail, what they actually ended up thinking and how would they know any different? They would kill some Englishmen a little bit later on and, you know, to start warring more and more. But the more they killed of them, the more of their own Native Americans were dying of disease. And so they thought the English had some kind of witchcraft or sorcery to where if you kill them, they come back as a disease and kill you. So it was kind of this conundrum. Should we kill them? Should we not? You know, that that's just a side trail. But that's what we have going on here. Early on, though, not a problem. Roanoke, the whole colony here was going to be great. They were going to thrive. You know, the only danger that they had here in these early missions, the only thing, seriously, listen to me, the only thing they had to worry about because they had safety of the land from the Croatoan tribe, you know, and at this point they had safety from the Sequitins, you know, even though that would get a little skittish, they had it all. They had tons and tons of food, guys. I mean, tons of food. You know, the, think of all the fish they could live on. Uh, the 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 excavations going on in Hatteras right now, been going on for the last twenty years, have shown an, a crazy amount of turtle bones. These, I mean, you could live off turtles, a delicacy in their soups, and you know, go grab fifty deer, grab some milk, grab some black bear, grab a rattlesnake for some soup, grab some ducks, grab some birds, grab whatever you want. There's so much food there. They these tribes had long since uh, learned how to have fish uh, hatcheries, you know, where they would put all their nets out into the harbor. Uh, they would block certain wall off certain parts, and you know, feed the fish right into these farms where they just had freaking fish. <laughs> So it was abundant. You could thrive. The only danger you would have here at this point for the English is getting overweight and getting obese. Let alone now that their guns and black powder and weapons were in the land, you know, and in their possession, they were capable of, capable of bringing down a hundredfold more wildlife at a never before seen pace in North America. Guys, it was good. It was a chance to start off good. So the English are there hanging out, doing this trading for a year between 1585 and 1586. It's important to understand, friends, that no one dies during that time. 
That's how good they have it in comparison to Jamestown in the near future, who even gets resupplied by England, by King James every few months and still 150 of them die in the first year. They're literally eating each other. It's awful what's going on at Jamestown. Okay, but here, not so much. Nobody dies. It's all good. Some of the Native Americans were probably dying from disease. Sorry about that, guys. But, you know, for the English, it was good. There were two kind of camps right now. Some of the English were on Hatteras Island with the Croatoans, and they were totally fine, like partying up during this year. Some of the English were over on Roanoke, and they started to get into it a little bit more because they're near the Sequitin tribe, and they're still getting the Sequitin a little bit uneasy. History's about to change forever, guys. A few ships from England who were going to stop and grab these guys, resupply these guys from Croatoan are heading that way. The first ship to get there is a ship called the Red Lion. It's got about 30 plus men and it docks at Croatoan. It's waiting there 20 days for the big armada from the Queen, the giant ship of resupplies for them and all the goodies plundered from the Caribbean was named the Tiger. And this this ship would actually go on to um, an illustrious career for the English. The Tiger was, I mean, that's a very well-known warship. And so the tiger's there and the tiger uh, tragically runs aground as, you know, they're going to bump over to Croatoan to, to resupply here real quick, the, these people for them. It runs aground. Now, it doesn't sink like ti- the Titanic, but it gets holes in it and it gets stuck and a lot of its bounty uh, gets washed out to sea from the, the seawater destroys all the, I mean, very valuable sugar from the islands that they were going to be taking back to England. So it's not a great situation. And they understand, you know what, we we have got to pay investors. They will repair the Tiger. It's going to take a few months. Um, They're going to be able to repair it, sell it back. And again, it has an incredible career. But for right now, they're like, screw this. Screw these people over there, the Croatoan. We need to go back and raid some more Spanish ships, get to the Caribbean. We have got to uh, find a way to repay this fortune that we've lost here from trying to get to Croatoan. So, you know, that a little bit of sour grapes in their mouth for it. Uh, you can't go back without payment or you're never going to sail again. So these now about a hundred men because the red lion had, you know, docked there was waiting for the tiger, which ran aground and they didn't know there are no cell phones or anything. So now there's about a hundred guys stuck there. And unfortunately, while they're waiting for resupplies or somebody to help out of that Red Lion ship, the man who was in charge was a complete jerkwad. Ralph Lane. Now, you want Ralph Lane on your side, friends, if you're going to war because he's just ruthless. He's a he's an idiot. He just wants to kill. But you don't want him where you're on an, on an island with a Croatoan and Sequitin tribe that you're just starting to make inroads with. This man, Ralph Lane, as he's stuck there, probably a little pissed that he's stuck there. But guess what? He ruins everything. Guys, this literally ruins everything. This literally changes history. It's crazy. 
Lane's a butcher. He's ruthless. So say goodbye to the good relations with the local Indians. Now, he kept somewhat good relations with the Croatoan because he wasn't stupid. I know much to his credit. But I think that, you know, Wanchi and I think that, you know, some of the Croatoans were about to see what he was going to do to the Sequitin. And they didn't like him. They didn't like him at all. Lane wastes no time. He goes after the Sequitin um, to some of the relief of the Croatoans, and he starts killing them brutally. Uh, in one instance, he, he kills a village of them because one of them stole a cup from him, a cup like a cellist. He didn't need an excuse, guys. At one point, he even kills the Sequitin chief. So freaking Ralph Lane is just laying waste to all the, the inroads everyone was trying to do before him and what everyone would try to do after him. And he's there, Ralph Lane, with um, his co-lieutenant Stafford, who, as all hell's you know breaking loose, Stafford spots <clears throat> as he's looking out over the Gulf Stream. He spots Sir Francis Drake's armada, and it, you know Sir Francis Drake, absolute stud muffin for the English. Like this guy is known all around California. This guy is like you know, find me some Spaniards. I'm going to waste them. So Lieutenant Stafford, amongst all of uh, this ridiculousness from Ralph Lane, Stafford waves down, you know, sends a ship out to Sir Francis Drake way out, you know, in the sea and says, hey, man, we're over here. We're stuck here. You know, um, Ralph Lane was requesting these certain resupplies and these certain men from you. If you don't mind, can you give him all of this stuff? And then we'll wait for the next, you know, round to come through and, you know, help us out and get us out of here. So Drake says, sure. Sir Francis freaking Drake puts all these supplies on a ship called the Francis. And he says, okay, the Francis is going to ship this over, you know, six hours here to where you guys are at or, you know, two hours or whatever it is. And you'll have all the resupplies you want. He puts them all on that Francis and he sends them off. Well, guess what? As fate would have it, and you'll see this a lot of times, a giant storm comes along and destroys the Francis and all of the resupplies. Ralph Lane comes back and says, hey, could you give us more? Sorry about that. Drake is fed up. This is not why he's here. He's here to, you know, to plunder and to kill some Spaniards and write some checks that their butts can't cash. So he says, look, Ralph Lane. Now, Ralph Lane is, you know, as important as he was, he was ruining everything there, but he's nothing compared to Sir Francis Drake. And Drake says, here's your ultimatum, dude. You get on the boat with your men, <clears throat> however many men want to come, or you stay here. I'm leaving. You're not getting any more. Last chance. Of course, they say yes, and they go. They head back to England, most of them. 1586. Guys, is this awesome? Is this awesome or what? Come on! So they go to head back to England, but again, there's no phones, there's no telegrams, there's no newspapers. This is just what happens. You would take a few months, you would go back to England. Once you got there, you would find out, ah, oh, crap, another boat left three months ago. We almost passed them in the night. Unbeknownst to them, another voyage was heading to North Carolina that, le that arrived two weeks after Drake leaves. <laughs> they didn't know. And it lands at Croatoan with just 15 men, and they're expecting... That, you know, all these resupplies would have been there from Sir Francis Drake, but they didn't know that the that the Francis actually 
uh, ran aground. They didn't know the men left back with Drake. They showed up like, what's up? They expect all the supplies there. They expect the men. They expect the armament. They expect the village. They expect really good times. They expect a freaking party. And what do they get? <laughs> Nothing. Not only that, guys, but these poor men, these 15 men or, or however, you know, it's close to that. They show up, they'd get dropped off and they have no idea that this idiot, Ralph Lane, had just pissed off all of the natives in the land and took off to England two weeks prior. Yikes. This is the third expedition to the New World. <laughs> so here are these poor men. Imagine showing up at Roanoke or Croatoan, it's right in this area, totally confused, like, where is everyone? They explore a little, okay, so you imagine, okay, a few of them are like, hey, we're going to go inland, we're going to explore, and they see the houses that uh, these guys who left weeks ago left uh, starting to be overgrown already, and they even they even note, they, they write in their memoirs that they see deer inside walking around eating the pumpkins and the melons. Clearly, this place had been abandoned for a few weeks. And at the corner of their eye, they look over and they see a few Indians in the woods. And these Indians kind of call out to them. So they turn and they go, well, I mean, they must know something, right? So they head over. We don't know if these Indians were sequidans. We don't know if they were a few of the Croatoans, like Manchi, a few of them that were right now, again, had a sour taste in their mouths for the white man. Because of everything that Ralph Lane has stupidly done. They didn't know that the hornet's nest had been beaten with a baseball bat and left. And these Indians greet them. You know, probably in a a fake attempt to trade or to say hi. And they kill him. A few of the English run back to where they were by their by their boat and they they grab them and they say, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. You know, a battle ensues. There's some grape shot being shot while one Indian's leg is obliterated with a harpoon. Uh, one Englishman is shot with an arrow through the mouth and it comes out the back of his throat. It's rough, man. So the English, the, they just pile into a rowboat. They, they pile into a rowboat and they take off. They're like as many as like 15 of us in this 22 foot rowboat. We're getting the heck out of here. And they, they get out of there who, where they're going. They have no clue. The Sequitin don't follow them because they don't care. They're dead. Anyway, those, those guys are dead. We never hear from them again. They go off into obscurity. They're gone. Third mission. <laughs> Sequitin, all they want is their metal and they want their goods. These guys leave. Nobody ever knows what happened to them. Do you imagine their lives? Oh, 15 gringos. Canoeing around territory where Ralph Lane had just torched all the Native Americans and they all want blood. Ugh. And now we come to a little part in the story that I like to call Where You First Started Learning About This. (laughs) Uh... Everything we've just learned in the last 52 minutes and 25 seconds, not including the intro music, (laughs) happened before you ever learned anything in your history books. Now, guys, this is why it's so important to study. study. This is why it's so important to, to know what's going on in a situation. So now you know there's a fourth party about to come. 
That is a colonization party. This is not made up of men solely and war people. This is made up of men and women. This is a very big deal. This is them coming to colonize, to procreate. <clears throat> they have bakers. They have farmers. They have uh, builders, you know, uh, you know, carpenters. They have some some war guys. But, you know, basically this is, hey, we're going to set up a colony and we're going to live here because all is good. We've heard nothing but good things. We know the Croatoans are good. They love us. They didn't know about Ralph Lane's uh, antics. We know the Sequitin. We can deal with them. This is going to be amazing. And here they come to the new world. All of this happens. And this is where your history book picks it up. This is where our folklore picks it up. It's crazy. So the new English group swings by to start a serious colony, men, women, and their goal was, you know, hey, we're going to drop you guys off, 100 of you off or whatever, and we're going to pick up these 15 guys that we left there, uh, and then we're going to cruise back, and, you know, then we'll be back in six months or whatever, and we'll just keep resupplying you guys. This is great. This is how it's going to work. It's a great system. But they land... There's nobody around. They can't find the 15 dudes who have long since, 10 of them, you know, a few of them are killed. A few of them took off in a rowboat to God knows where. They're, they got wasted. And they find some sun-dried bones laying out of these men. You know, that's not good. That means they were obviously killed in a field and left there. So they're, you know, they're starting to go, what, what did we miss? And while they're trying to figure out what happened... One of the Englishmen that was going to recolonize there with the Roanoke colony, if you will, was named George Howe. And he and his son wander into the bay where he kind of goes out fishing. He's going to crab a little bit. He's going to fish. You know, and you could picture him back tucked away in this bay and kind of like he gets back in the weeds and uh, he's just floating there in his boat. And it's beautiful and peaceful. And his son's over across the harbor fishing. And he's like, man, this, this land is amazing. The natives love us. The animals are abundant. All is good. When all of a sudden, the Sequitins, Sequitins rise up and kill him, not just with one arrow, but 16 arrows. And then they bash his head in and they break up his skull into pieces and they scatter his brains throughout the marsh. And his son goes running to tell the tale, or, you know, that maybe they kill him too. I can't remember what happens with that kid. But they're saying, hey, guys, you want to come around, white man? You want to start a colony here? Well, guess what? One of your turds that just left here torched our entire place, killed our chief, killed our men and women. Screw you. You're not welcome here. I get it. I don't blame them one bit. It's not the colonists' fault. They don't know. They come in peace. And so the man who's in charge of bringing these colonies over, Governor White, he basically, you know, he, he knows Manio and a few others with the Croatoans. And uh, he knows that this George Howe has gone missing. He knows the 15 are gone. And so he gets together with the Croatoan. He says, guys, look, I need you to go and I need you to find out what happened to these 15 men. I want you to find out what happened to George Howe. Could you please go to the Sequitin? And could you just come in peace and tell them, look, if they don't tell us what's going on here, we are going to come in one week and we are going to kill them. And that's just whether they would or not. That's what they said. So the, sec the, the, the Croatoans go and they 
you know, make their way over to where the Sekotun uh, village was that, you know, Ralph Lane had previously previously sacked uh, and done some very questionable things to. Uh, and they get there to try to figure out if they can make peace or not. But guess what? A week goes by. And the English are sitting there, you know, scratching their butts and going, OK, we need to. I don't know where the Croatoans went. Like they are not back yet. Uh, we got to go finish the job. We're going to war. So they're headed off to the Sequitans. Maybe the Sequitans killed the Croatans, you know, Croatoans. Maybe, who knows? So the English go, off they go to see what's going on. And as they get there, <laughs> they find the Croatoans uh, totally had, you know, killed the Sequitans, sacked the village, uh, are stealing all the pumpkins and the squash and, you know, all the corn and all that good stuff. And the English are like, what, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, yeah, we decided to kill them, you know. And the Croatoans, yeah, they were friendly, but they could still do their killing. Maybe the sec- maybe the Secretaries were down from, you know, Ralph Lane's pillaging. Maybe they were <clears throat> not as strong as in numbers, but a lot of them fled back into the inland at this point. And the English are like, well, whatever, you know. All right, we could have used some trade with them, but nah, screw it. Nice work, guys. So much for peace with them. And so they come back and, you know, come back to the the town, the village, and they say, all right, well, we're going to start this colony. All is good. Those pesky uh, uh, sequitans are gone. You know, at least they know for now. Anyway, the Croatoans are here. It's a party. And so they do. They have this giant party and uh, they, you know, basically um, Manio gets baptized as a Christian at this point. And, uh, you know, it's like that. like that giant, you know, any any movie you've ever seen where all things are good at the end. They truly have a huge feast. The colony at Roanoke, if you will, is going to settle there and they are going to raise families at the protection of the Croatoans and Governor White, who is awesome, he, I mean, you see some of his paintings and carvings and his journals, so very cool. He was, he was documented everything. Governor, Governor White was going to head back, leave some of his family members here in the new world, and then he'd be back in a few months to resupply. It was a really good plan. As a matter of fact, while they're there and they're partying, they're there for a few months, uh, his daughter, Governor White's daughter has a child and it's his granddaughter, Virginia Dare. The first anchor baby, Virginia Dare, you might know. She's the first English child born in the New World. That's pretty amazing. Virginia Dare. So Manio's baptized, big giant party. Uh, White's like, all right, I'm leaving. I'm going to extract back to England. You know, you guys are cool. You're good here. You got everything you need. Life is good. I love it. He says, hey, if you, you know, I'll be back in a few months. If, if you go somewhere else, and you know this from the stories, right? If you, this is where usually the history picks up. If you go somewhere else, then just write, carve the name really visible into a tree, you know, right here at the fort, the palisade or whatever, just make it pers- perfectly visible. And if you leave under distress uh, or something's not good, uh, you didn't leave in peace, I want you to, you know, carve a cross in next to it, you know, which is kind of like, not, not a cross like we think of, but like four inward arrows type of thing. So that. That's what he says, 1587. And he waves goodbye. Everyone's waving goodbye. Think of this awesome scene. There's no problem. All is good. Well, what no one knew is that as they wave goodbye, Governor White and his men go back to England that they didn't know 
nor did the people at the colony in the New World know that the war with Spain was about to erupt. And once White gets back, the Queen won't let him leave again because she needs all of the ships for the war. And this must have been, you know, hell for Governor White, who knows his family's back there, but he's like, okay, I got to fight. Let's get this war over with. So he goes on multiple warring missions, gets injured multiple times. At one point, gets shot in the right butt cheek, gets stabbed in the head, stabbed through the chest. So, you know, he's trying to get back, but, you know, he's also trying to recover. Uh, Six months gone was kind of be the long plan. Like, okay, six months, I'll return. I'll get you all your supplies. But war breaks out. He gets injured. One thing after another happens. And guess what, guys? Before you know it, tragically, three years had gone by. Think about that. Three years passed by the time he finally gets the okay to head back to the new world for his family. I mean, I can't imagine how much this must have weighed on him. He knew that he had left his family, the colonists there in the New World, with 20 longboats, two small ships, uh, to, and two small ships to transition them back and forth from the island to the mainland. So he knew he left them in good hands. They were great with the Croatoans. He didn't like, he didn't worry. He left them with boats and supplies. It was good to go. He just really wanted to get back and see them to see how it had been. Three long years. The men finally return and they land at Roanoke, North Carolina. And as you know, as the story goes, what do they find? Nothing. They thought they saw some smoke coming up and they were pretty sure they did from the area. And, you know, they got excited. They all started, you know, while still out at sea, I think it was at night, which would, you could, you know, sound travels over. They they were singing all these English hymns really loud over the port, you know, so that over the bow of the ship so that, you know, these, the, the, um, the Croatoans and the, the colony would be, you know, they would be pumped. They would be excited. Imagine if you heard that. But they get to land and they find nothing. The fire had been put out maybe just from a few tribesmen that would have been sitting there watching the ship come to shore. All they see initially is a word a few letters carved into a tree. C-R-O. Crow. And this is where the great mystery happens. Unless you want to leave out some interesting facts. They head down the way a little bit to one of the palisades. And there at the fort, you know, one of the tree that's drawn, carved, perfectly legible, is the word Croatoan. Now, we've been led to believe... And no one knows what that means. (laughs) They knew exactly what that meant. White knew exactly. The leaders knew exactly what they meant. He knew the Croatoan. He also knew the island that the Croatoan lived on. He was at Roanoke, but he knew their island. Now it's called Hatteras. He also knew there was no cross carved in, so they were gone, but under their own free will. And he was rejoicing. He was happy. He knew they were unharmed. Oh, this is awesome. He's like, in the morning, we'll, you know, mount a mission. It won't take long. You know, everybody kind of wanted to get home. He's like, guys, just chill. This will only take a minute, right? They had some things going on. One guy drowned. The other sailors were agitated, you know, because he basically pirated his way over here to get here. That's how bad White wanted to get here. And the the pirates and the dudes, you know, the English um, 
warriors of the sea were like, dude, screw this. We're, we are not cruising around for these people. We want to go lop some people's heads off and loot. That's what we're here for. Right. So anyway, he convinces them next morning. Let's just try one more time. But a violent storm erupts once again, a hurricane, actually. And it thwarts their effort, sends them like, you know, 30 miles out to sea. Everybody goes, screw you. We're going back. We're not we're not going back to those islands. We're out of here, man. Going back to England. Lost colony. I don't think so. Fast forward from the 1500s to 1607, Jamestown is happening. Of all the bad that's going on in Jamestown, there's some Native Americans, obviously Pocahontas, the whole scene with going on with her is happening there. But some of the men in Jamestown wrote down, it's in, it's in history that, that the Native Americans around Jamestown talk of white men and women from a colony in 1587 that had integrated with a few tribes down south of the coast, obviously the Croatoan. Even more, they said these tribes were known for wearing English clothing, which was odd. Now, you have to understand, when the English hear this in Jamestown, it's not like they're like, oh, sweet, let's go find them, man. That's really cool. They integrated with the Indian tribes. That's not it at all, guys. It was disgraceful to them. You have to understand, the English along with the Spaniards, the France, they all thought the natives were impure. They were dirty. They were Cro-Magnons. You know, they were less human than the English. Obviously, nothing could have been further from the truth, but they were disgusted that a, a colonization effort might just blend in with the natives and have kids with them. Unacceptable. 1701 now we're now we're 150 years moved on explorer john lawson publishes a book a book entitled a new voyage to carolina where he's basically paid to survey the tribes on the coast of carolina where he makes this incredible i mean this is history go read it yourself uh, the original sources amazing discovery when he gets to hatteras island croatoan not Ro- not Okay, not Roanoke, Hatteras Island, or what was called Croatoan Island back then. He found something astonishing with the tribe on Croatoan Island, now known as Hatteras Island. This is not Roanoke. You know what's astonishing? A lot of these Indians had blue eyes. Some of them bluish gray, green eyes. Even more startling to him were in 1701, where the pieces of English clothing they were wearing. And these tribesmen, listen to this, guys, claimed to have, this was their bragging rights, claimed to have ancestors who could, this is how they said it. This is so cool. Talk out of a book. Now you think about that. The, they didn't read or write. Uh, not in the 1500s, not, not, the, not the Native Americans. So it was, it was mind-boggling to them that these white men came over and could speak out of a book by looking at something. They could speak what was written on it. They also, these Native American tribes here on Hatteras Island, Croatoans, mention Sir Walter Raleigh by name. That's pretty amazing. 
But even at this time, guys, guess what? It appalled the English that any of their kind, even in 1701, would ever assimilate with such an uneducated, unrefined beast of, of a people like the Native Americans. It was so beneath them. It was so grotesque. And it sucks, man. It's sad because this dismissive, racist attitude would play its part in bearing the true story of Roanoke, the true story of the Croatoans for centuries, sadly. Thankfully, a guy by the name of Scott Dawson, he's a Hatteras Island native. He has been all over this for years, archaeologically for 20 years with with nationally, you know, globally sponsored digs on Hatteras Island where the Croatoan he claims they were not on Roanoke. He's been doing archaeological digs all over the place on Hatteras, finding proof uh, that the lost colony, so and so to speak, wasn't lost at all. They wrote on that tree, we're going to Croatoan, which is Hatteras, not Roanoke. We're going there. And that's exactly what they did. Watch anything from Scott Dawson. If you're interested in this, Roanoke on YouTube. He's been on the History Channel many times, although every time he's on there, um, they like alter it and spin it. He laughs about that a lot. He's like, why do I even keep doing this? You know, (laughs) but anyway, you know, the History Channel just wants a mystery out of it. And he has solved the mystery and they don't they don't really like that. He's been doing archaeological digs. You can check out all that stuff that he's now into the 1580s layer on his pits, on his digs. So it's just fascinating what he's pulling out. And the any day now should be the holy grail of finding women's bones. Once you find that, you know, you find English women that you know exactly that you have the goods. But he's find a ton of stuff. You can see that. Listen to podcasts on him. Absolutely awesome. The work that he's doing. He wants to get to the bottom of it in this area. Now, some of you may have known some more crap that came out. You know, it's all over History Channel again. And you can look, you can do your own podcasting on the Dare Stones. Remember Virginia Dare was the first, you know, daughter born. Well, there's this wild goose chase of a story that erupts from the 1950s. And it's absolute crap. But I'm going to tell you why it's crap in a minute. Because... You know, I know you're wondering, what about the Dare Stones, Kyle? They're junk. They're garbage. All right. As much as I want that mystery to be cool, because you know me, Mr. Mystery. Garbage. When it's garbage, guys, call it garbage. So I know the question you're dying to ask, because I was too. Kyle, number one, why the heck weren't we taught any of this? This sucks. I understand. Kyle, why does the History Channel and, you know, every other mystery uh, show about the lost colony at Roanoke make it into anything from werewolves to demons to, uh, you know, zombies to <clears throat> witchcraft and all this kind of stuff? What, why? Why the great mystery? Why? How did this even happen? Why did I not hear? Kyle, I've listened to podcasts on the lost colony at Roanoke. I've seen the shows. Why have I never heard the account ever that you just told me? If you're asking that right now, my friend, you are in the right place. And I'm here for you. Watch and learn. 1937. Roanoke Island. Roanoke is near Hatteras Island. 1937. Roanoke Island needs a little boost. They need a little steroids. There's nothing going on in the Outer Banks. It's not quite what it's being now. The Wright brothers got all their action down at Kitty Hawk. Things are really booming there. They need their own thing. 
Outer Banks, North Carolina, 1937. An outdoor theater play is written, and it's a good one. It's called The Lost Colony. Dun, dun, dun. Paul Green writes it, produces it. It's an absolute piece of fiction. Remember Manchi and Manio, the two Indians that went back to, uh, you know, the two Croatoans that went back to England and all that good stuff? Well, in this piece of fiction, he uh, makes them out to be chiefs that are warring against each other. And that's just not true. Um, <clears throat> and he places it all on Roanoke Island. So this should start ringing a bell. They even make a few towns there called Manteo and Mount Wanchi. You know, like they, they want it. They're bringing this baby to life and they're bringing it to life on their own terms. And they're about to make a gigundous amount of money. The Lost Colony, this play was performed as an outdoor theater show. And guys, check it out. To this day, it's still running. It's a huge deal. I mean, it's now it's a big part of Americana. Good for them. They've brought uh, a ton of, uh, you know, we probably wouldn't even know any of this if this play hadn't been written and done year after year and been this thing where thousands of people go to. Now it's a whole thing. Even now, it started in 1937. So, you know, thankfully it brought all the light to it. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, it is a fictional uh you know, it's a Broadway theater show outside. It even won a Tony Award. I mean, it is a true legendary achievement. Go read about it. Wikipedia, it's pretty awesome. More than 4 million people to this day have seen A Lost Colony. So awesome. So they get to the point where, you know, uh, it's kind of being this inlet for actors, like a Saturday Night Live uh, or like the Groundlings, the Groundlings, or, you know, like uh, what's the one, the Laugh Factory in Chicago or whatever. Like where you can go and cut your teeth as an actor. And if you're in this, you're going to make a name, you know, that's big for yourself in the 40s. And as this thing continued on year after year and, and now thousands of people are coming and uh, one popular, you know, unknown actor at the time, but got his start in this actual play that would bring him to uh, stardom is Andy Griffith. Yeah, he gets a start here. And that's when radio soon adapts it. And it's all over radio as a play and a show, you know, like Orson Welles and all that stuff. Uh, and the rest is history. Literally wrong history, but it's history. And that's what happens. Manio's a chief warring against his longtime opposing, you know, chief, Wanchi, who's actually not, a, they're both from the same freaking tribe. What he has, it's not even, okay, well, it's fiction. It's fiction. All right. <clears throat> both go to London to see the land that had to offer. But apart from these um, egregious uh, fictional portrayals comes racism. There's, there's huge racism in this still. You have to understand, this thing was written in the 1930s. So this is, 30 years, guys, segregation, 30 years before the 1960s civil rights movement, you know, the 1960s where you still had, you know, black people have to go to this drinking fountain, white people have, you know, can use this bathroom, black people have to use that one. Um, this is 30 years before that. And trust me, it was as it was as racially tense as as it was in the 1701, the 1600s, no matter when these guys came and heard about an integration with the English, the white man into Native American Mm -mm. not happening buried and banned still in 1934 they deliberately leave that part out completely making up a mystery of a disappearance and made the croatoan out to be one of mystery no one's ever known that tribe they erased that tribe i don't think it was nefarious i don't think it was deliberate i don't think you know they sat down 1934 let's get rid of all this it's just they they wanted like tourism so they built this whole story up but in doing so 
made the Croatoan the, the whole thing of mystery, erasing and slapping that great tribe in the face. And you get in 1950s, a guy from California comes and watches this play with thousands of other people and yeah, rah, rah, rah. You know, I think it was probably done at night with torches all around it and, and, and it closes out and it's like, you know, it has this whole thing. Virginia Dare is one of the main story, you know, one of the main characters in this play. And at the very end, and it's like, and they, they scribed a name on the tree, Croatoan, and no one knows to this day what that means. And then and scene and the curtains and everybody rah rah cheer that was the big ending this guy from california sees it he's leaving his car and this is how the story goes he stops in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night walks you know 40 yards in to the woods and finds a stone there <laughs> and on this stone you can see it the first stone virginia they're called the dare stones virginia dare wrote these about what happened to the lost colony perfectly scribed in stone which would take a long time to do so he finds this stone, he puts it in a glass case, he carts it around town. It's guys, it's ridiculous as you can think. He's selling it off to the, you know, guy from California just finds this stone after hundreds of years after he sees this play. Uh and then get this. Long really long story short of some friends of his and there are there are always people attached to this guy that they end up finding like 43 more stones over the next year. <clears throat> All with different parts of the story. Well, they're all attached to the same guy. They're all crap. Uh, everyone's come out and said, hey, at least the at least the number two through number 43 are garbage. Number one, who knows? But, you know, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, you know what I mean? Uh, and so even even um, scholars, Elizabethan scholars, yes, there is such a thing <clears throat> today in this day and age. Look at even the first stone and they, they look at the way it's written and they just laugh. You know why they laugh? Because they're like, guys... This is because they know the dialect, right? I mean, as much old stuff as I read, I, you know, again, I was back in um, the ancient burial ground, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, about a month and a half ago. And these these graves are some of these dudes, man. It's like this, is the 1500s. It's just crazy how old these things are. Well, the, the wording is all goofy. The letter, some letters don't even exist. Okay. You know, they, there's, it, it's weird reading them. I can't even read all. Of them. So these guys specialize in this and they're like, guys, the, the dare stones are, are written exactly like. A guy from California, a gringo American in 1952 would write if he was trying to mimic Elizabethan writing. It's just all wrong. You know what I mean? Like you could totally get it. Like it's just all like it's me right now trying to write it. And I would put some these and thous in there or try to make some King Jamesy stuff from the KJV Bible, you know, but other than that, like I would have all my, it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't even look right. So anyway... We're not going more into that, right? They, they just this play they, and everything that comes through it is, is 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 tourism, guys. That's what it's about. It's about big money all around. Everybody can once again benefit it, benefit from it. It's ironic because that's what the English went there for anyway in the first place, right? To benefit from those tribes. Those tribes want to benefit from the English, and the same thing happens in the 1930s moving forward. And it worked because the island of Roanoke, where they had this play, where they set up these fake towns, where they had fake forts set up, they had trees with Croatoan carved in them. They're props. They're not the real ones. All this stuff is going on on the island of Roanoke. 
to make it a tourist destination. And that they do. And it was successful. You know, I live, you, you have these roadside, um, these abandoned 1940s, 50s, 60s roadside Americana things all across um, the all across the United States. And, and I love seeing those out in the West, you know, when you see those. But we have them here in the Irish Hills in mid-Michigan. Uh, you will just the other day I was driving up from from one of my claims in Toledo and I was coming through the Irish Hills, just gorgeous, windy, twisty lakes everywhere. Guys, it's absolutely gorgeous. <clears throat> but they have all these um, old 1950s abandoned places along the road, like the prehistoric forest, where there are literally still dinosaurs in the woods. You can see them. I mean, they look like they're made in 1950, but that was a huge attraction back then. The mystery spot, you know, where water runs uphill, all this kind of stuff. It, it's littered throughout the Irish Hills right there. And so that's what they did. And they were successful on the island of Roanoke. To this day, guys, the the, the county seat is now there. Like they, they've made it into a thing. What would be nothing, they've turned into something good for them. There's a theater there. There's gift shops, the Chamber of Commerce. There's uh, air quotes, historical, fictional sites set up. There Again, fake trees with, you know, crow carved in them and crow its own. The whole nine. It's big business. And it held real history at ransom for profit. For the white man's honor and the white man's pride. And to this day, guys, archaeological proof is coming out of Hatteras, not Roanoke. And it's causing a bit of a riff because Roanoke doesn't want to lose their precious <laughs> tourism. But Hatteras is starting to turn up some very good things. Can't wait to see how this turns out. Guys, this isn't the first time or the last time history has been altered. Again, maybe not for a nefarious reason, but for the sake of a dollar. For the sake of someone's pride to, to bury something that, you know, was racist in the first place. I'm sad to say that there's no mystery here. As much as you love drilling down and I love to make a mystery, but there's, a none, there's none here. Just do your history. There's only the story of people who were willing to persevere and go to a brave new world, you know, to discover new people, new food, a new way of life that led to freedom for them. I think there was a sense of pride. They were a bunch of nobodies. There were a few aristocrats in that colonization attempt, but they were by and large, just, they weren't even all English. They were just people wanting to make a name for themselves, get some freedom. But somehow money always finds a way, the pursuit of it, to ruin it. These men and women assimilated exactly where they said they were going. Croatoan, the island, modern-day island of Hatteras. Look at the new archaeological finds that are happening there. Absolutely amazing. They weren't lost. They were abandoned. No one could get back to them. No one wanted to get back to them. And while some were probably definitely killed off by native tribes, warring tribes, what have you, the ones that assimilated into the Croatoan tribe, I believe they lived on and they lived peacefully as long as they could. I mean, maybe disease did eventually overtake that Indian tribe. It wasn't, wasn't those settlers, you know, fault, but they had kids, blue-eyed Indians and natives to the island of Hatteras today can trace their lineage straight back, you know, not to not to Manio or, or Wanchi or anything, but they can at least go back definitely to the Croatoan tribe. 
Pretty amazing. I love this stuff. I love the fact that history can come and just erase something just over a new narrative. A lot more about that in future podcasts because our media today still doing the same thing. I think of all the problems that we have as Americans these days. <laughs> in our land, with our land, with our people, with our political movements. We're at war with ourselves. Disease, famine. It's almost as if we built our kingdom on an ancient burial ground and the bones of those who went before us that could have worked with us. But we had war in mind. And all we know how to do is conquer. I hope you learned something new today. I know I sure did. I love history. Thanks for being here.